Well, amen. My name is Greg. I want to welcome you here to Sunrise. If you're new here, I'm the youth and children's director here, but I also get to be a part of the preaching team, especially when, you know, Russ and Martine are gone, then I can do whatever I want. Um, so uh, I want to dismiss our kids to children in worship. That's for ages three years old up to fifth grade. They're going to have an awesome time. In fact, it's one of my favorite places to be, and the rest of you may be seated after they squirm by you real fast. And uh, it's just so fun to just be in uh, the classrooms with them. They're actually uh, done with Revelation. They, they knocked it out in four weeks. I don't know what's taken us so long, but um, they, they are now actually starting over in Genesis. That's one of the great things that we do here at Sunrise is uh, basically, you know, when they're in children worship, they're learning Scripture. They start in Genesis, and they work their way through the whole Bible into Revelation. And after three years of doing that, they start over. And they, we just ingrain it into them so that when they get to junior high, when they get to high school, they just know the stories. They know the biblical truths. And that is so important. That's foundational for them to just grow in their faith because it all starts with God's words. It starts with God, Holy Spirit, waking us up and then the, the, us understanding scripture and diving into the stories there and growing in our faith. So excited for them and also exciting for us today as well as we're going to be in Revelation 15 and 16 today. Uh, so as we get started, you know, um, oh, it's been the last like two to three years that I've actually been somewhat of a sports fan. Um, before that, I was just one of those guys who just didn't really ever watch any kind of sports, never watched football, much to my mom and dad's dismay. Uh, they would put the game on and I would just kind of get on my phone. I would do something else. I'd leave the room. Uh, I hardly ever know the, the, the players' names. Um, you know, if a student will say, you know, so-and-so did great. I'm like, great. Who did, who, what, what sport? You know, I didn't know anything. And actually only the last couple of years have I actually been paying attention a little bit more. And um, it's funny, you know, being an outsider on the sports world, uh, there are certain tendencies that you look at people who are really involved in sports and really love, passionate about the games. Uh, you notice tendencies that kind of make me laugh. And uh, now, as someone who's watching uh, things a little bit more, um, I'm doing the same thing. I'm picking up on the same habits. And one of those big things is when uh, we say, we won, or we lost, or we needed to uh, do some changes. We really needed to come through on that, that third down or whatever. You know, we, we place ourselves in the middle of the game as if, uh, you know, on uh, uh, the post-game interview, as they're talking about how the game went, they would say, you know, you know, we, we were doing great up until the third quarter on that third down when Greg, uh, he got distracted and stopped watching the game. And that's where our team really started to fall apart. You know, Greg stopped watching. So uh, that's why we lost the game. Uh, not at all, right? Us watching the game actually adds no value to the team. We don't really do a lot. Unless we're there, maybe we can make a lot of noise, but even that's kind of like hit or miss. And, um, but it's still fun to feel like we own part of that game. That's why we say, we did this, we did that, we needed to do this, um, and, and we place ourselves in that position. Uh, and and in, a re in a way, today, as we talk about what God's doing in our story, we can have this idea that that's what's happening, that we get to kind of see it happening, but we don't participate. But actually, it's the opposite for some very important reasons. And so as we jump into our scripture today, we're going to see that we actually do get to share in some of the things that God's doing here, that we actually do get to participate, not just as a fan, 
but as someone who owns a part of the kingdom because God has brought us into that family. And so I want us to be ready for what God's doing. We're going to be starting in chapter 15, and actually we're going to read the whole chapter, chapter 15, which sounds like a lot, but it's eight verses. So it sounds impressive, but uh, we're just doing eight verses. And uh, we're, we're going to then kind of skim over chapter 16 as well because there's so much good stuff here. Uh, the nice thing, too, is if you're like, man, we are going so fast through Revelation, basically from here on out, we're doing one chapter at a time, kind of slowing it down because there's so much good stuff to go through. So, um, But yeah, we're going to read through chapter 15, and this is what the Word of the Lord says for us today. It says, I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with seven last plagues last because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire. And standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. They held harps given them uh, by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses and the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, I looked and I saw in heaven the temple, that is the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was open. And out of the temple came the seven angels and with uh, seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his people. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, a lot of things going on. And John starts off by saying, you know, this thing that's happening, as it's getting ready to happen, what's going to happen next is going to start to wrap up the wrath of God. Everything that's happening here, it's going to start to conclude those things that we've been going through. And so, uh, you know, this is kind of the end, and then we're going to get to the new beginning, the new Jerusalem here in a little bit. And John points out first kind of where we're at. It says the sea of glass is there. And we've actually heard of this sea of glass before in uh, Revelation 4. We know this is uh, actually in the throne room of God. And so uh, we know that that's kind of where this is all taking place. And I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm going to take a drink of water a few times. I lost my voice while I was in the mountains last week. And so I'm just, uh, yeah, that's going to happen a few times. Otherwise, you're going to not hear the real message. <laughs> so that's where we're at. And so then in this throne room are people. And those people are, have been victorious over the beast. These are the people of God who are standing there. And they're worshiping God's name. Uh, we've heard about them. Russ talked about these guys a few weeks ago, people who uh, did not get the marks on their heads, did not bow to the beast. And uh, we've actually been learning more and more about them. Uh, these are the people who have uh, lasted through persecution, have not fallen prey uh, to the trickery of Satan, and the ones who have been uh, killed, persecuted for faith. They have been given white robes, and the seal of God has placed on them that these are my people, and they are there 
Now, singing with harps, uh, a song of God. says the song of Moses. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> the song of victory for, the, for um, God's people. And this is what the song says. It says, God is great and powerful. Everything that has been done is perfect. Everyone who sees God and his work will be in awe of him and his work because his holy plan is being revealed before them. You know, there's this amazing moment here where uh, God's people, they are praising God because they're starting to actually get to see God's hand at work. They're seeing his plan displayed in front of them. You know, they're connecting the dots of everything God has been doing. I mean, just think about that in your life. Has there been moments in your life where you've been like, God, what are you doing? Like, where are you at in this? Like, I'm walking through some hard times and I'm not seeing where you're coming through here. I'm not trying to doubt you. I'm not saying you're not doing anything, but I just don't see it. I'm having a hard time seeing things from your perspective. And then you watch the news and you say, man, it just seems like us as society, as humanity, we're just headed down these dark paths. We're just not progressing as a people. We're kind of, in fact, feeling like we're going backwards in a lot of ways where we're getting into a lot of crazy things. And God, what are you doing here? And I thought, I thought we win. I thought, I thought you're victorious. But yet when you look at the earth, it looks like things are just getting worse and worse. That's a common thing. But the reality is, is we are limited in our perspective. We only see things from a certain vantage point, right? But God has this ultimate understanding of the big plan of everything he's doing. And this is what it's saying here in in Revelation 15. It's saying that they are getting to see the overarching plan of God. I mean, not just that moment, not just what he's doing here in 15, but what he's been doing since Genesis 3. And they are starting to understand from that moment, since we messed it up from the very beginning, how God has been slowly and steadily progressing things forward to redeem his creation, redeem his people, to bring us back in good good standing with him. And he's been doing this over a large amount of time. and, And as they see that, what else could they do but worship his name in that moment? As they see this plan unfold in front of them, they worship his name. You know, we get a glimpse of this in our own lives when we see someone who has come to faith for the first time. When you have that moment, that aha moment, when you wake up to everything that God's been doing around you and you say, God, I need you as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to follow you. That first moment of faith. And then as you do that, you'll start to notice as you have some perspective, as you think through life, you'll start to see that God has actually been working through your life that whole time. It's not like all of a sudden he showed up. No, since the moment you were born, he has been working in your life, calling out to you. For some of us, that faith journey is because you were placed in a family of faith, that you were placed in a a place where you were able to learn the Bible stories like our kids are. You were able to uh, grow up and, and understand what it means to be a man or woman of faith. And you grew up in that. And that is, that is glory to God. That is a gift that you were given to be able to have that at such a young age. And that is part of your story, your faith story. You, and you get to see, yeah, it, it started with maybe your, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, and then your parents, and then now to you, right? And you see how God has been working through the generations in your family. For other of us, it's more of a wake-up moment where you see, oh, well, faith isn't as much strong in my family, but I see that God has been circling around me in my life. 
with people who have cared about me, loved me, whether that's teachers, coaches, friends, uh, co-workers, whoever, where you start to see, no, God's been working. I didn't know it. I wasn't recognizing it at that time, but God's been working. Sorry. And so when we wake up to that moment, we get a moment where we get to connect the dots and say, man, God is so good. He's been working in marvelous ways. And, and now they get to do that here in Revelation 15 in a spectacular way, in a way that is over all of humanity. And so God's people worship him. Then John sees the temple in heaven. And the temple is a symbol of God's place of meeting with his people. And the temple has the covenant law. This is the agreement that God has made with his people, with humanity. And said, you know, in order to be holy, this is what it takes. And this is where all his promises that he has made to us are and where grace and justice are. All the laws, decrees, and promises that God has put in place are there. And this is the standard for holiness from God, from his holy law. From that holy place come these seven angels. And they are dressed... um, They're dressed in all white, and this highlights his holiness. They are holy. They are holy from God, holy beings from God. They have this golden sash that shows that they have the authority from God as well. So these seven beasts are given seven golden uh, bowls filled to pour pour God's wrath, and they, they have these containers that show that this wrath is not from them, but from God, and it's his holy justice. (coughs) Sorry. And then it goes to verse 8. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So this is the callback actually from Exodus 40, where we see God come down into the... the, um, to the, the tabernacle, and he, his presence is so thick there, it says, that uh, they, Moses couldn't enter it. And then again, we see that in Second Chronicles 7, where the priests couldn't enter the temple because God's presence was so thick there. These are moments where God's presence and, uh, with his people is so thick that, that they couldn't enter the temple because God was there doing something spectacular with his people. And many times this was God uh, leading his people to a new step in the relationship that led to redemption and repentance. So God is doing something new. And here in heaven, we see God is then, again, doing something new. So this kind of sets up chapter 16 for everything God's about to do. Chapter 16 is all about God's wrath. So um, go ahead and turn your Bibles to chapter 16, and we're going to kind of walk through that as well. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Excuse me, as my voice is trying to recover. I was uh, up at Shaver Lake last week with uh, the high schoolers, and then uh, it still hasn't come back to me. So I've been trying to recover it all week, and uh, apparently hasn't fully recovered. So apologize for that. So uh, what's amazing is uh, everything that God is doing here 
is that God is uh, kind of laying out the plan. You know, in the seals, um, we got the perspective of uh, humanity. As we went through Revelation, we heard about the seals. And that was all about how God was doing things. He was bringing redemption. He was restoring his holiness. And we kind of got the vantage point from the human side. And as we read through the seals, it was a lot about what people were doing and their perspective. And then as Russ talked about the lampstands, that was a lot about uh, what was going on in the spiritual realm and how things were happening through there. And so you saw Satan lashing out, the beast coming out, trying to fight against what God was doing. And so that was the, the lampstands. And now as we see the bowls, it's almost like this is from God's perspective. That this is stuff that God's doing. And so as we hear the details, uh, what you're going to notice, it's, it, a lot of it comes from heaven. That it's, it's the heavenly perspective. It's God's perspective of everything he's doing. And so as we read this, you're not going to get a lot of like, this is how humanity was doing. This is how they received that. It's like God did this. And this is why. And so that's kind of what we're walking through. So chapter 16, verse 1 says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. It is important to note that everything that is happening here is actually happening to those people who have not repented. They have, they have refused to come to God. No matter what has happened, they have constantly said, no, we don't want anything to do with God. And so these are the people who have stuck with the beast and go constantly before, uh, uh, and God constantly is calling out to them to repent, but they refuse to. They say, we don't want anything to do with what you're doing here. We want to be our own gods. We want to do things our own way. We want to be in charge. We want to define things ourselves. And so they completely refuse everything God has done before this point. And so God starts to pour out the bowls. And the first bowl is a bowl. Uh, each one of these are plagues, and each of these plagues actually uh, link to Exodus, the, the plagues that we saw through that were given to Egypt. And the first bowl is full of sores, so the, everyone is full of sores. The second uh, bowl is the oceans are turned to something that looks like blood. The third bowl is full of a plague that uh, turns the springs and the rivers to, again, something like blood. The fourth uh, bowl that makes the sun scorch the earth with fire. And what's interesting is verse 9, it says, they were uh, seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had control over these plagues. And they refuse to repent and glorify him. So even in the midst of their suffering, they're still cursing God. They're saying, no, we're not, we're not sorry. We're not going to bow to you. We're not going to follow you. We're not going to give you glory here. We're going to last. We're going to do things our way. The fifth seal, uh, bowl is poured out. And it says, the kingdom of the beast is plunged into darkness. And then uh, through that as well, you'll see in verses, the end of verse 10 to 11, it says, People gnarled their, their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of the pain and the sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. No matter what is happening, they do not want to repent. They do not want God. They do not want to honor him as king. They do not want his forgiveness. They do not want to have anything to do with him. They want to do things their own way. The sixth bowl is poured out. 
and the great river of uh, Euphrates is dried up. And then what we see here is a collection of people coming together, different kingdoms coming together to fight against God, it says. Now, there's some debate here about um, what this means. Um, some people believe that this is a human, human you know, uh, nations coming together to literally fight against God, and that's uh, one way to think of it. And then there's another way to see that you know, God is actually going to take down, he's battling Satan and evil spirits and everything evil in the world. And so it's not necessarily a coming together of the nations, but coming together of the evil things that are happening. And then God's going to take that down. But either one, uh, we can see that they, uh, verse 16, it says, then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. So where is this place of Armageddon? Armageddon is a place. And so uh, where is this place? Well, experts believe this is in the northern plains of Israel. And what's interesting is the northern plains of Israel uh, is a place where we've seen God take down some historic battles, actually. Uh, for instance, in Judges 5 and 2 Kings 23, these are two moments where Israel was fighting another great nation that was overpowering them. And God comes into those situations and he destroys their enemies. And so what we get from that, that Armageddon place is the promise that God is going to win. That he is victorious. He's battled big nations before, big enemies that should have conquered. And he took them down. And so the, the, that's part of what John's saying. He's like, just like he's done in our past before, he's going to do again. He's going to take down our enemies for us. And so the seventh bowl is poured out, and from the, the throne comes a voice that says, It is done. And supernatural disasters overtake the earth. The mighty nations of the earth fall apart. Large hail falls from the sky at the end, and the people who are left still curse God because of the plagues. They do not repent. As we read this, we can read this and say, Man, God is harsh. What's going on here? Like, why is God so mean? I mean, what, why is he punishing people so much just because they don't want to follow him? In fact, if you look in society, there will be plenty of people who will say that to you. This just seems like a mean God. I mean, is he really going to judge everyone? I mean, no one likes to be judged. How could he do this? And there are those that will say, no, he's not really going to do this. This is all metaphor. This is all just, you know, hyperbole. God will not do this because he's the God of love. He, he loves, and this doesn't look very loving, so obviously God wouldn't do that. Well, to that we can say, well, God is love, but he's the truest form of love. And that is just one of many attributes of God, in fact, because he is love, but he is also truth. He's also righteousness. He is grace. He is peace. And out of all attributes that he says that he is, as the Bible defines who God is, out of all those attributes more than anything else, the one thing that he highlights more than anything is that he is holy, holy, holy. It's the only attribute of God that is said three times about who he is in a row. It never says that he's love, love, love. It never says that he's justice, justice, justice. He never anything. He's holy, holy, holy. And that is one of the most important things that we can understand. When we say holy, we understand that he is uh, stainless, pure, without blemish of sin. 
and set apart from anything else in creation. He is holy. And God is bringing his creation into that same kind of holiness that he has been in. Now, this has been a work that he's been doing through all of creation. From the moment we mess things up, he's been working things out to restore his holiness to his creation. Now, he started first with the law to say, hey, this is what holiness is. This is my standard. This is what I'm calling you to be like. And we couldn't live into that. We couldn't do it. We didn't have enough. Uh, And so instead of just saying, well, you guys are on your own, he then sent his son down from heaven to die on the cross for us to live that perfect life that we couldn't live, to then die the death that we should have died, and then rose from the dead and sent his Holy Spirit to dwell within his people so that we could live a holy and redeemed life because of his work. God has been working all throughout time to bring his holiness to us. You know, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, it says, Now it is God who, who makes both us and you stand firm in Jesus, in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. The Spirit's work in our life is a guarantee to where we'll be in this story. If you know the Holy Spirit is working in your heart and your mind, as He's restoring you, He's sanctifying you, which means He's working and bringing you into that holiness. It's not that you're perfect today. You're forgiven, but you're not perfect, right? If you, I, I don't think anyone of us are, argues like, no, I'm perfect. You know, like, no, no, you're not. But we understand that the Holy Spirit working in our hearts to bring us into that right standing shows us where we'll be at this story. See, God provides a way for us to be brought into right standing with him. But still some refuse. They turn their back to God. They don't want anything to do with him. They want to be their own king. They want to be their own God. They want to define things themselves. And this causes God to choose the third path for them, to give them justice. See, God has to give justice. In order for him to truly be a good God, to be a, to be a God of justice, he has to divvy out justice. And so that's what we see out through chapter 16. And what, what we see, too, is in chapter 15, uh, the people were singing, right? His people were singing, they were glorifying God, because he knew that he was going to set things right. And so they were singing and joining in that. And the reason they were joining in that is, see, us as Christians, we give our vengeance to God to take for us. When we are wronged, we don't take vengeance ourselves. Jesus said that. He says we forgive and we give it to God, right? And so uh, when they are being wrong, when they're being persecuted, they're not taking up military. They're not trying to take down Rome. They're saying everything that happened to them, God will have ultimate vengeance. He will bring ultimate justice to them. And so for us, when we are wronged, when things are done to us, we don't lash out. We don't take revenge ourselves. We pray. And we say, God, Vengeance is yours. Ultimate vengeance is yours. 
We say, God, I do not have the power right now to right this wrong. And so I ask for your justice over this situation, your true justice, your ultimate justice over this. So we give it to God, and I am able to forgive those people who have wronged me because I have given that wrong thing that they've done to me to God. Saying, you own that God, you own that wrong thing that has happened to me. God, that, that, that is something that I'm asking you to seek true justice out for me. And so now justice is not mine to get, it's something that God has. And I either get justice at the cross, where that is forgiven, just like any of my wrongdoings were, were taken care of, or I get it on this day. Those are the two options for us. So we don't seek vengeance ourselves. We give it to God and we say, God, you have ultimate vengeance for me. You take that away from me because I am tainted. My justice is wrong. I'm going to seek things that are selfish to me. And so what I want is your goodness, your pure goodness, not anything that has any kind of strings attached. Your goodness, God, that's what I want over this situation. So I will find that goodness at the cross or when this day comes, the day of the Lord. Those are the two places. And so if people have refused to repent and find redemption in the cross, then they find God's wrath. And God's wrath is one of those things that we don't like to talk about, right? It's like, ooh, I don't know. That's not going to invite people in. But we need to understand that's why we sing. That's why we praise. Is anything wrong that has happened to us, we believe that God will set right. He has set right and is going to set right as well. We live in that world. See, we know in the end, the reason why we sing God's victory is because he's going to win. God wins. Yet sometimes in life, that can feel very far away. We can tend to live as victims or like we're defeated, uh, defeated people because we look at the world and the world is, well, being the world. But our hope is not in this world. Our victory is not in this world. It is in the one who defeated sin on our behalf, who has made the way and adopted us into his family, the one who knows you by name and has put his spirit in you, enabling you to live differently, to be transformed by him. Our hope, our victory is in Jesus so what situation today, here's my challenge for you guys, what situation today do you need to look at differently? Understanding that that thing that you're walking through does not define you. That that will not defeat you. That does not own you. That you will have God's ultimate victory over whatever situation you are walking through. Now for each one of us, that looks different. If you're a student here, in my junior high group or my high school group, maybe that is bad grades, and that looks like a big deal to you. That looks like tough. Like, I don't want to tell my parents what grade I got in that, that class, right? And so that looks like a big deal. I don't know how I'm going to bring it up. Or maybe it's just a hard class that you're walking through. Or maybe it's a, a tough relationship that you're in, one that you're like, I don't know how, how life looks without this relationship. And God, I, I'm, I'm struggling with this person right now. I don't know how you're going to have victory over it. Maybe it's a diagnosis of a doctor. You heard that news and it didn't look good. And so you're saying, God, I don't know how we're going to get through this. 
Maybe it's finances where you're seeing the bills pile up and you're saying, God, I need you to come through. I need something. I need something. I need your help here because this thing, it looks like it's going to beat me. I mean, let's just be real. Look at the walls. As a church, can we just take a moment and say, sometimes we look at the roof and we say, man, it feels like this is going to defeat us. I don't know what we're going to do. But to that, I say, our victory is not here. It's in Jesus. And so we look at these situations and we say, that's not going to define me. That's not going to beat me. That's not going to destroy my faith. That's not going to stop me. It's not going to stop God. God is bigger than any of these situations. God is bigger than any of those problems. And it doesn't mean that those problems just diminish. It doesn't mean that they don't matter. They do matter. They hurt. They stink sometimes. But God is bigger than them. And he promises us his victory over those situations. That he is bigger than any of those things. And he gives us that victory as well. And so we sing. We praise God because we get to share in his victory. So what situation are you walking in right now that you need to just get fresh perspective? What does it look like to see it from God's perspective? That God is going to have victory over it. If you're walking through it right now, then he's going to get you through it. All right? If you're walking through something right now, God is there with you. You're not alone. God is walking with you in that. And he, by his power, by his spirit, he will get you through those things. Here's the thing, too. If you're walking through something right now and you're like, I just don't feel it, Greg. I don't, I don't, I don't feel like God's there. I'm struggling. I'm having a hard time. Well, there's some things that we can do. He gives us a lot of options to access him. He's not hiding away. He's not trying to be secretive. First thing is pray. Pray to God. Pray that you, he, you feel very present with him, that you can feel him close to you. And if you're struggling with that, then come pray with his community. <coughs> pray with his community. We uh, are actually doing that on Wednesdays and Sundays uh, starting this next week. We are getting together as God's people, and we are praying together from 6 to 6.15. It's just 15 minutes, but man, what a great 15 minutes that can be where you get together and you pray and you, you, you get to pray for other people. You get to get prayer yourself. And that's actually something where we cure at Sunrise. We, we pray individually really well, but coming together as God's people to pray is something that we are not always the best at. And so and we invite you, if you're not feeling like God is close to you, come to one of these things and, and pray with us. Pray and feel the Holy Spirit working in each of our lives. It's not that any one of us has any magical prayer, uh, even if you sit with Russ. Uh, you're, you're just going to get another person, right? But man, the Holy Spirit works in amazing ways as God's people come together to pray. And so come on a Wednesday night or a Sunday night starting next week and and to see what the Holy Spirit can do, that's, that's an option. Uh, dive in deeper with God's Word is another way that we can grow in our faith and, and understand the victory that God has for us. And, and we actually have a class tonight uh, where we're diving into uh, Revelation. It's a foundations class where we're, we're growing in our understanding of what God is saying through Revelation, but also just in each of our lives as we study the Word together. And, and Elder Cody is leading that, and it's a great time. Starts at 5.30, and uh, you, you will walk out of there full of, of a lot of information and transformation in that class. And so those are two options, but there's so much more still. 
you can come out on a Wednesday night. If you're missing a community, if you're feeling like, man, no one even notices me here, come out on a Wednesday night and, and, and find community. We have men's group, we have women's group, we have just other groups. We have the Spanish group, I believe, is meeting also on Wednesday nights. And it's just a great time of finding that community of people who care about you, who will pray for you and know that you're walking something, but you're not walking through it alone. If you are struggling to feel God close, And my advice to you would be stop trying to do it on your own. Stop trying to do your walk with God by yourself. God has given us the gift of community. He's given us the church. And that that helps us so much more than we ever realize. Stop closing yourself off. Stop coming into Sunday morning and just running out. I mean, don't stop coming Sunday morning. I'm about to get in trouble. Um, But also, get connected to one of these groups. Because what a blessing it is when you share life together with God's people and we remind each other that our victory is in Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much. One, that my voice lasted. (laughs) But God, I pray right now that each person, more importantly than hearing my voice, would hear your voice, God. That they would hear... that you are drawing them closer. You are calling them to trust you more, to look at whatever situation that they're walking through and understand that you have ultimate victory. God, that you will bring justice over every part of our lives, God. You will bring righteousness to our lives. And God, we thank you that you are holy and you call us to be holy just like you. God, I pray right now that you would help us to uh, understand that you love us, that you care for us, So much so that you didn't leave us in our darkness, but you brought us into the light. So help us now as we sing to sing that victorious song of yours, God. It says you are great, you are good, and everything that you have done is amazing, God. And it's in your righteous name we pray, Jesus. Amen.